Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. Hello, this is Mark Rutland. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. Of course, I'm a minister and former university president, and so I, I love to interview those who lead in my area of the world, in ministry and education. But I absolutely love to find a successful business person who is leading at a high level in the world of business. And it always inspires me to see how they live and how they lead in an area that is so different from where I live. And such a man is David Villa, the founder and CEO of IPD, a marketing and media and training firm that works with companies of all sizes and industries. He is a best-selling author. He is a podcast host. He is evidently, he's everything. So I'm delighted to have him here. David, welcome to The Leader's Notebook. Oh, man. Thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate it. It's actually my honor. Um, and I uh, love what you're doing and love the podcast. Thank you very much. Well, I, I want to sort of dive in here. Um, you you and your wife, Diana, started IPD in your bedroom in Tampa uh, 28 years ago. My research tells me. Now, here's my question. A lot of young people, leaders, church planters, business entrepreneurs, they read that and they say, wow, 28 years ago in his bedroom and two hours later, worldwide success. Is that the way it went? <laughs> you know, I wish. Um, absolutely, absolutely not. It, you know, it's uh, probably let's, let's add about five or six uh, major failures in business, uh, losing a couple of uh Losing a couple of dozen employees a couple of different times and and uh, wanting to quit about a thousand times <laughs> and uh, and we're still working on it. <laughs> David, I'm so glad to hear you say that everybody wants to live in the world of the instant overnight success. They just want to put the dollar bill in the Coke machine and pull success out at the bottom. And when you when you hit those failures, when those five or six failures, when you hit those rough spots, those I'm talking about really dark times. How, how did you, what did you do to get through? How did you handle that? You know, uh, great question. It, it, you know, at first I didn't handle it as well. And I think that's one thing too. You know, we, we, we have these many failures and many setbacks all through business that mm -hmm. have the potential to, to take us out or to cause us to want to quit or shift gears or, um, you know, have an early retirement, so to speak. But you know, the reality is the first time I didn't handle it the best, you know, I kind of pounded my chest, so to speak, and it was my way or the highway. And I lost about 12 key people. I remember uh, in 2013, I had about $700,000 in business and employees walk out of the door in one week yeah. because I was, I was running it from a top-down philosophy and um, just felt like I had the Midas touch, so to speak was a Christian, was a believer, but just wasn't really handling uh, and leading properly. And, um, you know, first I, I handled it kind of, you know, well, I'll, I'll be better be for it. But um, I wasn't and um, I wasn't better for it business wise. But over the course of the three years after that, God really began to work on me and uh, taught me the lesson of collaboration. And and um, and I really went through some some leadership schooling, so to speak. And it was a long time before I added 
personnel. But when I did, it was uh, it was it was really good. We we've actually watched him grow us since then, in, in more than one way. David, unpack a little bit more, if you don't mind. Let's let let me ask you to kind of bore in a little more on the difference between top down or vertical leadership and and collaboration. Surely you're not talking about not being the boss. No, no. So, um, and I, and I think that's a great point too. It's 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 a lot of people either completely hands off, you know, which is chaos or completely hands on, which can be almost a form of, you know, of, of corporate strangulation. But I, I was doing that. I was, I was running it more like a dictator. I learned it from what I thought were some of my secular heroes back in the day, you know, the Jack Welch's different people that did some things, right. But a lot of things I think that probably weren't uh, patterned after servant leadership. And, um, you know, I was, I was just like, it was just my way. I thought I had the best ideas. I overrode a lot of um, what what now I look back and see is creativity, and um, the difference now. What, God showed me the value of people and the value. You know, I, I kind of say it this way. You know, I had a big vision, and still do. And a lot of visionaries and leaders can 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 uh, relate to that. But last time I checked, a big vision takes people, and so I they care about you know, their dreams and their desires. And so I began to really see the value of that, you know, um, God began to take me through studies of, of, you know, of Jesus and biblical leaders and Solomon. I looked at a lot of what, you know, the leaders and the represent uh, representatives in the Bible had to say about it. And, uh, and t- so today there's meetings that I don't even go into for years um, because, you know, I, I just trust the team that God's placed around me. And, and of course, you know, I often say you have to, you know, there has to be decisions that ultimately sometimes I make. And of course there can't be more than one, you know, heads. Uh, but, but I do things differently today. And I learned that the hard way for certain in business. I learned uh, when I was playing high school football, I, I, I played quarterback. I don't care how good of a quarterback you are. And I wasn't all that great, but uh, I was a varsity quarterback. But I, I learned early on, no matter how good you are, you can't catch your own passes. <laughs> Somebody, somebody's got to run that route. Somebody's got to block up front. Or, uh, your offensive line lays down. I don't care how good you are. Somebody's going to tear your head off. So I, I learned a collaboration, and I'm delighted to hear you talk about that. Um, you mentioned a word I want to go back to, and that is the vision, the the idea. Let's go back to the to that seminal moment. That's what I think a lot of young leaders struggle with is how do I get the vision? How do I get the idea for my business or my or my church plant or whatever it is? Where, where does that come from? And what about you? How did that happen for you? Yeah, and, and a great question. I um, I think that's I think a lot of a lot of young leaders that I talk to uh, that come up to me um, and say, hey, you, you know, how do I how do I get my business from uh, you know from where it's at or this idea that I have into you know into a business or you know how how do I know what I'm supposed to do or purpose to do and you know I think that I I've always been an idea person. I learned early on, and my wife was a big part of this, where you know. I, I'm sure you've heard this before, but a lot of uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, sometimes men, especially visionaries, if their wives is more practical or more, you know, uh, detail oriented, we view that as a, a holdback or an hindrance. And I did in the beginning, and I looked mm-hmm. at it as like, well, she doesn't see my vision, and she doesn't see what God's placed in my heart. And what what I came to realize um, that she's a big part of 
putting the details together. For instance, I, I uh, as a visionary, I would say, hey, there's the big picture. I'm standing, I almost vision like a cavern, like a, like the Grand Canyon. I'm on one end and I'm looking and I'm pointing, hey, that's where we're headed. You see right there. That's where we're going. And, and man, it's going to be great. Everybody's like, you know, you know, excited about it. And then I take the first step and I fall into the hole. Yeah. And she's the one that looks down and says, Hey, watch out for that hole. Um, and I think that, uh, I think that, so, but then again, I also learned that just because it was a good idea, it wasn't meant for me to do it. You know, there were times where I did, I had a lot of distractions come in early on because I thought it was vision. In reality, it was just a, maybe an idea or maybe an idea for down the road. And, you know, that was, um, that was, that was, took me a long time to discern what, where God was saying now or where he was, uh, speaking to me as something specific. So I struggled with that. And I, and I, and I, and I can't tell you that I've completely, I'm batting a thousand because I'm not, but, um, you know, I asked him for wisdom over those areas because they, uh, a couple of times they caused me major setbacks. One of them cost me, um, you know, probably a half a million dollars over a two year period. And it caused the main business, uh, about a decade ago to also be set back and ended up failing. So it was, it was just some distractions. And, uh, so I think that that's a, you know, I, I, I think that as visionary, we're going to get these, God's going to speak to us and he's going to give us, you know, visions and ideas, but I think incubating them, you know, praying over them, not reacting, um, are some of the things I've learned and just kind of waiting on, uh, further instruction. <laughs> you know, I love the reference to you, that uh, cooperative partnership with, especially with you, with one's own spouse. I, I just, of course, you need it in business too, and in leadership and management. But my wife's default position is the brake. My <laughs> my default position is the accelerator. And so early on in our marriage, it 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 was a clash until we learned. If we'd put the clutch in and let the gears mesh, it was a perfect match. I supplied the vision and the energy and the the ideas, and she kept me from driving over a cliff. But it took us getting past that original feeling that she thought, you know, I'm disrupting our life and marriage, and I thought, you know, she's dragging her feet. But when we got together on it, it was fantastic. That's good. Absolutely. You talked about distractions. I want to go back to that just a minute because it's been my observation that so many guys, especially visionaries like you, that that they're heading in direction A and that shiny object, just they just glom onto it and turn to the right or turn to the left, and and it can really dis, really cause a lot of disruption in the in the business and in the leadership. Is that has that been your experience? Uh, absolutely. You know, I. Um I, you know, I've really, I've really studied on this because distraction was such a big, a big, uh, downfall and such a big tactic or strategy the enemy used. And, uh, you know, so I, I started looking into this. I said, I got to figure this thing out. And, and, you know, um, what I see the enemy do a lot of times with visionaries and, and especially, uh, men and women in the marketplace ministry aspect is, you know, he's, if he can't, you know, the, the old, the scripture that says the enemy comes to steal kill or destroy. Maybe he can't destroy you or kill you, but if he can steal something from you, or I think the same respect, if he can derail you or distract mm-hmm. you or mm-hmm. delay you. And so I can't tell you how many times he kept me from, you know, hitting the mark possibly in the time that, that, that I was supposed to, because there was a distraction or a delay. And, um, 
you know, I, and, and the, the story that I love, my favorite in the Bible is, is the story of Solomon when it comes to business. I just love that story for, for multiple reasons. But, you know, um, it, it, we see him go after it and, and do something so wonderful with regards to wisdom. But then we also see the other side, the flip side of the coin, where he became distracted, you know, and that distraction took, took him off course. And he talks about that, you know, later uh, when he when he began to lay out his life and, and some of the things he went through. So just just the distraction, I think, is the number one um, strategy or one of the top strategies the enemy uses with regards to uh, taking professionals off course. Um, and and and, uh, and he certainly tried it, and has done it with with me. <laughs> that's that, that's really good. I you know I I think I'm going to come up with a lesson and paraphrase the scripture. It's always dangerous to do that, but I'm going to say the enemy comes to kill and steal and to distract. Uh, I think yeah. I think I can make it work. <laughs> that's good. Hey, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you about something very personal now. You you make no secret of two things. One is that you are in business. You are a speaker, leader, uh, a counsel, consultant, sales leadership, team building. But you also make absolutely no secret that you are a, a Christ follower. You talk about faith-based selling. Has that... Um, I think there may be some business people particularly listening today, and they maybe they've been a little cautious about coming out as a Christian, how, how do you, what would you say? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, it's a lot there. So I, I'll try to try to just keep it brief. I'll say this. One thing's unique about my story in regards to that, because I grew up in a family of, of traditional ministers, um, you know, going back multiple generations. And so I felt, uh, the call to, to preach or to minister early on. And I did it the traditional way, which of course there's nothing, nothing wrong with. It just was not right for, for me. And, um, and so and then at the same time, I had a family on the other side that was interested in business and very successful business people. And so, um, you, so early on, I had this identity crisis. I mean, for not early on, for years, I mean, this identity crisis of, ministry and business. And my wife was uh, sold out. She ministers as well, but she was like, this isn't paying the bills. What would you, this isn't Mm -hmm. cutting it, you know? And so it was just a very uh, tough time. And um, so the identity crisis was there where I've done all of one, all of the other. And then over the last several years, um, God's really begin to show us and give us a blueprint. That's the best way I can describe it for marketplace ministry and the truth that in, in the, the two converging. And um, so I've been a Christian that's owned a business and that's been great. But I really, I really felt the Lord telling me and speaking to our hearts about put it out there and, um, and really put it out there. So now we don't beat a Bible over someone's head. We don't, you know, we don't, um, it, you know, we're not, uh, we're not, we do business with, with tons of secular businesses. We don't discuss, um, you know, things at, at the improper time. It's just, we put out who we are. And, um, and one of the things uh, very quickly that God kind of showed me, and maybe it's a small blueprint on how to do this. We have a director of culture here that I brought in. I never had that position before. And that culture is who we are. So it starts with our, uh, our employees. And then if you can envision that going out to the next layer, our client, then to our vendors, and then a fourth layer, to our competitors. And so we want to come from the inside out and just be, this is who we are. And this is why we do what we do. And, um, and so 
it's it's something that God's really blessed us in, um, opened up major doors, and uh, we're we're really just getting started because we're starting to we're really starting to make this something that we are deliberate about. We started a, a division in our company uh, called Game Changer, which is which is the marketplace ministry of our agency, and um, our U version Bible plans are written under that. Everything we're doing that we're giving back into the community into the business world is done through that division right out of here. And uh, so it's, it's unchartered. Um, I'm, I'm trying my hardest to study on, on uh, patterns, but I'm not finding a ton. And uh, so God's really developing something here. That's, um, that's really cool. I can only way I can describe it. <laughs> I love it. I I'm a listener to a uh, game changer podcast and I, I, I want my listeners to, to uh, subscribe. You should get on game changer podcast. I, I like it, David. I think it's excellent. Oddly enough, this may surprise you. I have nothing to do with the automobile industry except spending way too much money on them. But, uh, <laughs> but I like auto dealer live. I enjoy that. It's, it's interesting to me, uh, from, I apply it across industry to, to just leadership issues. Uh, your, your weekly radio program where dealers go to discuss relevant topics and in the automotive industry, I think it's excellent. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. Tell, tell the people uh, listening a little bit about, uh, we've sort of talked about your leadership philosophy, but kind of diagnose what is uh, IPD and, and how do you relate to all of these, particularly the automobile industry? What is your relationship there? So we, so we're, IPD agency is, is a marketing uh, and media company. We, uh, we primarily do work in the auto industry. At one point, that was 100% of our, our uh, focus. Um, and we still, that's probably 80% of what we do is automotive. We work in Canada and throughout the U.S. And we, uh, we, we do digital marketing, traditional marketing for the automotive industry. And, um, and then, of course, uh, we started um, over the last few years working in uh, doing marketing for businesses and, and uh, even some churches, but businesses and churches. And, and, uh, of course it's a smaller segment, but it's, it's something that allows a lot of my team to, you know, to work in an area that they're passionate about and, mm-hmm. and, uh, as well. But, um, we're, we're having a blast doing it. And of course our, our media company, we've infused media into marketing, um, and, and, uh, do a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, podcast for other people and video shoots and production and things of that nature. And, um, so yeah, we're having a blast growing. God's blessing us. And, um, it's just an incredible thing. The automotive industry is, I, I believe the automotive industry is, is a, is a, a mission field that the, that the Lord has, has called us into. I see that now. And it's, um, there's some really good people in the auto industry, um, uh, that need Jesus. But there's some really good salt of the earth people. And um, so it's just, he's opened my eyes in the last few years to look at it that way. That's wonderful. I, I want to go back to something you said a minute ago. It just keeps coming back in my mind. You were talking about uh, your culture officer and everything you said just, you know, clicked. It kind of sounded standard, you know, the culture of your employees, culture of your business. Then you said competitors. And and that one kind of surprised me. How does how does the culture in your organization connect to or influence your competitors? Why do you say competitors? When we were setting out the core principles for the marketplace ministry, it was very you know natural to say our employees and our clients and our vendors. And then I just felt prompted that 
you know, the Lord just kind of dropped that word competitors in my heart. And, you know, and I, and I thought about it for a second and it's interesting. And, and first, first thought that came to your mind was the first thought that came to mind and probably most people to hear that. But here's what's interesting. Something that we do um, to serve our automotive clients. And it, of course, it, there's a benefit for us. It keeps them plugged into us, but we host masterminds here at our office. We're in a big 13,000 square foot office with a training facility in-house and we fly them in. They come in from all over and then we bring in some vendors um, to sponsor and to participate in that mastermind, some of which have been our competitors. It's interesting and it's, it's or a, a competitor in a certain segment, but they'll come in and uh, we've invited them in. They'll pay to come in and, and be part of the deal. But here's what's really neat. The doors that have opened through to uh, minister and to just be an example to them. And it's, it's, it's just, it's really, uh, I can't describe it any way other than it's just unique and what God's doing where these people have come in and I don't view them or they view me as competitors anymore. It's, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll weigh in on post on LinkedIn and they'll comment and they'll, they're part of it. And here we are competing sometimes for the same market share. And, and so it's just something the Lord laid in my heart and I, you know, I did it out of obedience. Um, I didn't really understand it, but I, I I'm starting to see that he has a bigger plan and, um, and he's blessing us through it. Um, so, but I'm still learning that part of it, to be honest with you. I'm still, you know, it's, it's, a uh, we're, he gave us a blueprint for it, but you know, it's interesting with blueprint. That's been my word for this year. Blueprints, I think that, you know, you, you can't work on the kitchen and the bedroom at the same time. It's like he's developing this one area. Then once it's kind of finished and he reveals that next, that next remodel. Wonderful. And that's kind of what it's doing. So good. So good. I, I often teach, I teach the Leadership Institute and I often teach that there's a place where the church, the business, the company, whatever it is, it moves beyond being a market leader and becomes a market influencer. And I, I think that's what's happening with IPD. And I, I'm so proud of you. I want to, I want to skip over to the, another part of what you do, which is uh, motivational speaking and teaching on speaking. So here's, I'm going to pin you to the wall here. I teach on preaching. I want to know if there's a couple of key things that you teach on speaking, I'm going to see if they translate across from the platform of, of a business to the pulpit of a church. What are some things that you you would say, when I teach a speaker how to become a, a, a public speaker, this is a couple of things I say they're indispensable. Absolutely. I think I think passion. Um, you, know, you know, I found, uh, I was a preacher, you know, and I still preach some, and I, I uh, was very passionate about that. And so, you know, um, God's opened doors to speak to leaders. And when I go to conferences, secular conferences, I, I've asked the Lord, you know, Hey, God, I'm going into this place. And obviously the audience is different. How can I, you know, how can I bring this, uh, your, your, your message in? And, um, you know, so one, one of the topics I'm big on speaking on and is, uh, and I think this is resonates because I do a lot of sales boot camps, a lot of different things like that is, uh, is, motivation, for instance, is a word, a buzzword is out there. What people view as motivation always is, and I don't think motivation, um, you know, and so the root, a word that's in motivation is motive. Motive is why we do something, right? The purpose in which we do it. And then the Lord kind of showed me that in, in that word motive is, is IT, it. So I talk a lot about, you know, do find your it, you know, and, and, you know, your motive. And to me, that's really, that's really what's going to continually, motivate us and then 
um, you know, one of the things we, we spill over into that as well is, you know, you can motivate someone that doesn't really cost you anything, but, you know, uh, to, to uh, influence someone. Um, will cost you something. You know, I can walk and pat someone on the back and motivate them and it doesn't really cost me anything. But if I want to become an influence, then it does cost me something. And, um, you know, speaking on, uh, bringing in the gospel in those ways, and, and it's interesting a lot of times after people will come up and plug in and, and, and try to, you know, say, hey, there's something different. Tell me about it. And those are the, those are the, the avenues in which God's opening the doors. I, I'm so um, moved to hear you talk about the, ways in which business and leadership and the, all the things that we all believe in, how they open doors for the gospel right in the marketplace. Uh, everybody talks, it's a, it's a byword. Everybody talks about marketplace ministry, mm-hmm. but uh, you're, you're really putting feet on it. And I, I appreciate it so much. I remember to my passion. I remember an anecdote about uh, Benjamin Franklin going to hear George Whitfield preach and, Benjamin Franklin was a great American. He wasn't necessarily a great Christian. And somebody was surprised to see him there. And they said, Dr. Franklin, do you do you believe what George Whitfield preaches? And he said, no, but he does. That uh, that that passionate commitment to what you speak on uh, carries a lot of weight, doesn't it? It does. It does. My uh, my wife. She reminded me sometimes, she said, you know, you don't even give me credit for this, but these are my ideas. Or she said, I came up with that. And But this one one phrase that I, I, I said a years ago, she said years ago, and I've adopted it, but she, uh, we were talking about passion. And passion is a, obviously a two-syllable word, but we're, she was talking one day, and she said, really, it's a three-syllable word. It's pass it on. It's contagious, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and but so is lack of passion. And I think that, so I do, I do, I do believe that it is contagious. And it'll it light, a, light a fire uh, inside of folks. Um, we're, easy, we're good sometimes as leaders and light a fire under them, but I want to light a fire in them. And, um, and that's, that's my goal. All right, here's the, here's the question I always end. We're coming right down to the end of this. I've just enjoyed it so much. But I always ask leaders, this, uh, the title of this podcast is Leader's Notebook. We have people who are interested in leadership on every aspect of life. And I always ask leaders the same question. If you could speak to leaders everywhere, all over the world, religious, political, m- uh, military, um, in business, if you could speak to leaders all over the world, all at the same time, but you could only tell them one thing. What what would be the thing David Villa would say to leaders everywhere? Well, that's a great question. Um, I, I, well, I think there's a void in in leadership, and I think that people are searching. And so, so if I were if I were going to say one thing, I'd say people are watching and they're looking for somebody, especially believers, you know. And I know you said leaders everywhere. There's such a void in leadership, and I think that you know it's we're seeing that in in society in the world. And uh, everyone is everyone is looking to be led. I think it was Winston Churchill was uh, I believe it was him that said a leader without a follower is just taking a walk. And it's one of my I love that quote. And I think you know you know if you you you're in a position, but you know that doesn't necessarily make you a leader. And I think that leadership you know produces fruit on other people's trees. You know it's it's uh it's something that. You know, you can see the fruit and see followers. And I would just say, you know, if, if you're in that position, um, you know, make it, make it count, 
make it, let it mean something because some life and death in, in, in some cases, so to speak, rely on, on, on possibly, uh, what you do and, and, uh, and how, what decisions you make. So that's what I would say. I think John Maxwell says it really well, obviously influence and, uh, we're influencing someone regardless of, of if it's positive or, or negative, you know, I often said that, uh, you know, Hitler was an effective leader. He just wasn't a good leader. He wasn't a good person, but he was effective. People followed his nonsense, but you know, I think leadership is influence. And, um, so that's, that's what I would say, you know, if we're, if we're, if we're going to, um, we're going to be in that position, make it count. Use your leadership for good and for God, and God will take care of you. I, I appreciate this. David, thank you so much for joining us today on The Leader's Notebook. No, it's my honor. Thank you so much for having me. I've been interviewing David Villa. He's the CEO of IPD. He is a motivational speaker. He's a best-selling author. His podcast is listened to everywhere, and I listen to it, Game Changer Podcast, and he is a motivating and influencing force in business, particularly in the automotive industry, and an unapologetic Christ follower. Now, listen, my friend, step into the void of leadership that David just spoke about. There's a need for people who step up, step in, and lead, and who care for the lives of others servant leaders who make the fruit grow on other people's trees. I love that phrase. Thanks to David Villa, and thank you for listening today. Until we meet again, this is The Leader's Notebook, and I'm Mark Rutland. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.